You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 254 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm okay. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) I had to give it a little bit of thought, didn't I? But no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, um, what am I doing? I'm I'm recovering from the Burdekin Readers and Writers Festival. Which oh is yes, how was that? And where, where I was is Burdekin exactly? Well, I was. Uh, it was good, and I, it is up. The Burdekin area is up around the Burdekin River, which is up in North Queensland, around North the town Queensland. of Ayr and Home Hill, which is the twin oh, town right. across the river, and mm. it is uh, about an hour south of Townsville. Fantastic! Was it really hot? Mm. It was hot. So I got on the plane in Sydney in, at the crack of dawn because that's, you know, what we do. And it was uh, about 14 degrees and I got off yeah. the plane in Townsville at about 11.30 Queensland time and it was 32 degrees. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. four, four hours, you know, four or five hours of flying and it was substantial. So, of course, the burning question, I know this is just so relevant, is, but these are the things I think of. When you go into 32 degrees, what happens with the authorial jacket? Because you know how you're big on wearing the authorial jacket? I don't know if I could do that 32 degrees. It is really interesting you say that because I posted a picture of my – so, here's the other thing. I got up um, to get to where I had to go by the time I had to go there. I was up at the crack dawn, so I was up at like – 5 a.m. Sydney time, which was, you know, 4 a.m. Queensland time. And then I got there at sort of 11.30 to Townsville. There was an hour's drive down the coast, uh, sort of down, you know, to air. And then I had my first workshop at 1.30 in the afternoon. So Mm. I'm wilting a little, as you can imagine, by the time I sort of even got to my thing. And it was hot and I didn't wear the authorial jacket. I had a very nice sort of all black, I don't a nice authorial shirt, but Mm. I did not have the authorial jacket because it was simply too hot. So Mm -hmm. I post a picture of my first workshop and the first thing that someone says, the very first (laughs) comment is, Al, where's the authorial blazer? (laughs) There you go. So I had to say that I was wearing an authorial scarf. I do have an authorial scarf that comes out on such occasions, just that little extra layer just to dress things up a bit um, on top of whatever shirt I'm wearing. But uh, it is difficult. But generally speaking, I'll wear a linen jacket. And linen, you know, you can, you know, get away with because it's, you know, particularly if it's not lined or whatever, it's just a thin jacket. Mm. Um, And I'll wear that over a tank top. But it's so creasy. I can't deal with linen jackets because I can't iron them properly. Uh, well, you know, at the end of the day, like it's it's one of those situations where yes, linen creases. But the actually, we've talked about this. The, I've got that blue jacket that I wore for the mm. videoing of the children's creative writing uh, quest, quest, as you call yes, which you can iron because it's a relatively yeah. you know lightweight thing. Um, but you know, for the most part, people are generally speaking not really, not really, and particularly. 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds, they're not judging mm. you on the fact that your jacket is slightly creased. Generally well, speaking. yes. All right. Fair enough. So <laughs> I These are the to, things I think about. I kind of got over myself a little bit with that and I just thought, you know, whatever. But anyway, I didn't wear it. I didn't wear it because it was actually just so hu- and so humid. The authorial hair is more of a problem for me than the authorial jacket under those circumstances. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, I had some And you shouldn't do hair. what I did once because I was about to go on stage and I'm obviously just the world's worst ironer and I had to iron my pants that got creased, I guess, and um, I had the iron too hot. So it left the iron mark. 
what are you, this is you what, on the side, on, on what, backstage? Oh, no, no, like in the hotel. Finding your pants, right. Yeah, oh, so and I had no you. other pants. Right. So I had iron mark and had to go on stage with this honking great iron mark on the front of my pants. <laughs> on the front as well, so you didn't even. Yeah. <laughs> so check the, you know, heat of the iron if you're Well, the hotel iron can be that. a problem when you're travelling. I mean, I'm sure mm. that everyone out there who travels for work would understand this, but I do, I have to say to you that the, you're, best ever friend in these circumstances are just synthetics. The yeah. synthetic is your friend. I have this pair of $20 Target black pants that I take everywhere I go and I've never ironed them and they are absolutely genius. They're just in the work section of Target if anyone's interested. I need interested. to go to Target. So good. Okay. Just so yeah. good. Not a natural fiber in sight, but you will never <laughs> need to iron these babies ever. Oh, well, d- believe it or not, this isn't so you want to dress <laughs> well, no, this without using an iron. I'm, I'm sure there's people out there who are heading off to their first, you know, authorial events just going, what do I wear? So here you go. Wear something that won't crease yeah. and uh, dress it up with an extra layer, whether that be an authorial jacket or an authorial scarf or some kind. That's right. But we want to give a big shout out to my mum calls me fat, as in P-H-A-T. Because that is their name on iTunes and they've left us a review called It's Only the Best There Is. And my mum calls me fat is from the US because um, they spell it M-O-M, mom, um. and has said, I was referred to this podcast by an Australian peer I met online through NaNoWriMo and was instantly hooked. These ladies literally get me through my day. I must listen to them on my drive to the office day job to keep me positive and excited about writing with the mindset that perhaps I will not be stuck in my inane day job forever. I need these ladies' humor, wit, encouragement, support, advice, and excellent author interviews to get me there. The best things in life are free. How cool is that? From the US. That is really awesome. Thank you so much. My mum calls me fat. That's just really, really, I I just think that's so cool that you're listening all the way from um, the US. And thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that review. And if any other listeners do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Now, shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week, Al? Let's do that because I'm sure you have many exciting things to tell us. (laughs) Well, we just want to give a big shout out to Tamsin Janu, who we have interviewed before on this podcast, and she's the author of several books. And Tamsin has recently been announced as one of the authors on the shortlist of the 2018 Prime Minister's Literary Awards. And that is a huge accolade, huge accolade. Yeah, brilliant. So um, congratulations. To Tamsin. Now, listeners may remember that she actually uh, did a course, a weekend course, like a Saturday and Sunday on how to write um, children's books at the Australian Writers' Centre. And it was on day two of the course that she formulated her idea that would become her first book, um, Figgy in the World. And since then, Figgy has spawned several sequels, trilogy, several other books, <laughs> including <laughs> Figgy and the President. And, um, and Figgy Takes the City is the one that has been shortlisted for the Prime Minister's Literary Award. So congratulations, Tamsin. We're all just very, very supportive of, um, what's We're going so to happen. proud. Yes. So proud. Absolutely. So yeah. proud. All right, so we have another link um, about calling all unagented authors with fiction manuscripts, don't we, Al? We do, and you're going to need to talk about that because I have (laughs) failed to open (laughs) that link. All right, so Ebury Press, which is an imprint of Penguin Books, is open for fiction submissions. So if you don't have an agent you um, can submit, which is fantastic because a lot of people don't have agents. And um, if even if it's previously self-published, that's okay, but just make sure you let them know that it's previously self-published. And it's open to writers from all over the world. So they've actually said what they're looking for. So they're looking for commercial fiction, predominantly aimed at female readership, also book club type you know, books, so uplifting upmarket stories and books that get readers talking, crime thrillers. I know a lot of listeners are writers of crime thrillers and, um, and, and they are not looking for erotica, short stories, 
children's fiction or young adult at this point, Regency Regency romance, sci-fi, poetry or nonfiction. But that still leaves the field wide open to, you know, commercial fiction, um, uh, marketable books, uh, for like, especially for book clubs and crime thrillers. So make sure you get in on it. And um, we'll put the link in the show notes. But you have until the 31st of December to mm. submit. So get onto it. We'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at So You Want to Be a Writer com.au. And it's now, a great opportunity because I think it's one of those yes. things where it's often so difficult to, to, to know how to get your foot in the door. Mm. Well, you know, the door is cracked here. So, you know, take the opportunity. If you've been working on something, if you've got something, be brave. You've got nothing to lose by sending it off. Um, and I think it's definitely worth having a crack. Definitely worth having a crack. And I know that a lot of people think, oh, you know, oh, I'm I'm just not going to be in with a chance. I'm not even going to be bothered because I won't get anywhere. You don't know that. You're assuming that. You've got to be in it to win it. There are countless situations that I can think of in my life that I've thought, oh, no, I won't do that. But then I forced myself to do that and then you get somewhere or you win or whatever. So I can, you know, I really encourage you that you've got to be in it to win it. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Now, this week's episode is a little bit late, Al. It is, Val. We're late. Yes. We're terrible. Tiny little bit late, but we had a good excuse, didn't we? We did have a very, very good excuse. Um, and the reason that we are late this week is that we were very busy talking very busy. to actual Miff Warhurst, as she is now known <laughs> in this house, um, actual Miff Warhurst, um, on Radio National on Wednesday. And um, we did put the link to that into the podcast group, um, into the Facebook podcast group. And it was greeted with much excitement. And you know what really surprised me about that, Val, was what, what? the number of people that heard it. So not Yay. not just talking about the ones that were in our group and knew it was happening and stuff like that, but the number of messages I got that day and phone calls of like, I was in my car and there you were. And mm. I was just thinking, I just had no idea that so many people were listening to the radio in the middle of the day. Who knew? Yeah, for sure. That's mm-hmm. that's so cool, right? Mm, so and cool. um so that was great. And uh we spoke to uh Miff Warhurst and we want to give a big shout out, big, big, big shout out to podcast listener Effie. And Effie kindly uh actually you know, organized this media opportunity for us. So thank you so much to Effie. Yeah, thanks, Effie. It was great. It was great to talk to you. And it was really fabulous to hear your experiences of doing NaNoWriMo last year and the fact that you're Mm. editing your manuscript from this year and you're ready to go again. And I thought you had some some really good um, things to say to all of the listeners out there with regards to, you know, why they should do it. And, I, yeah, it was was lovely. And you have such a lovely voice. I know, right? Such a lovely voice. I was just like, oh, hi, Effie. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you want to have a listen to Effie and her experience on uh, NaNoWriMo and our tips on NaNoWriMo, then we'll put the link in the show notes where you can listen to the ABC podcast because they've, um, you know, obviously turned it into a podcast as well. So, just a little bit of an announcement. We have something exciting cooking away in our new courses lab, an online fiction essentials course on characters. So, if you want to discover how to weave a cast of compelling characters into an addictively readable story, this course will be right up your alley. So, it's online, it's self-paced, and it's coming soon. So, if you want to find out more, go to writerscenter.com com.au slash characters and um, register your interest and you'll be notified as soon as this is available. Now, I particularly am excited about this course because sometimes, and I don't know whether you experience this, Al, but sometimes you start off with what you know is a cracking character, whether you've based it on someone or that it, that character just enters your head or whatever, and you know there's something intriguing and fascinating about that character but you haven't actually worked out the story. So this this course will lead you through, if that's the case, to how to develop that character and develop a story that actually works for that character. But likewise, some people do it the other way around where they have the a great premise for a plot, but they haven't developed the characters yet. 
And they, they, and this course also does that, helps you do it the other way around. So they go hand in hand. Sometimes you might have a great plot that the characters haven't developed yet. Sometimes it's the other way around. It's so important for both of them to be balanced. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've now done this course and I think it's incredible. So if you're interested to register your interest, go to writercenter.com.au slash characters. All right, so let's move on to this week's competition, which is very, very exciting. It's an AWC success story pack. Now, one of the things in the success story pack is this is super exciting. Uh, the single ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village by Joanna Nell, who is a graduate of the Australian Writers Center and also a podcast listener. And we're so excited to support her debut novel. And we will be doing an interview with Joanna coming up on her, on her book, The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village. So Joanna Nell's life affirming debut is a moving, funny, heartwarming tale of love and community in the spirit of the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold and Grace and Frankie. The life of 79-year-old pensioner Peggy Smart is as beige as the decor in her retirement village. Her week revolves around aqua aerobics and appointments with her doctor. (laughs) What a chance encounter with an old school friend she hasn't seen in five decades, the glamorous fashionista Angie Valentine, sets Peggy on an unexpected journey of self-discovery. Very cool, Joanna's Mm. latest book. And also in that uh, pack, you'll also get Hotels for Cats by Ashley Mills, who wanted to combine her passion for cats and travel, and she's produced this magazine called Hotels for Cats, featuring 30 cat-friendly hotels. So we have three packs to give away, so make sure that you go to writerscentercomau slash win. That's writerscentercomau slash win, and entries close on the 22nd of October. But if you're listening to the podcast in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other fabulous competition for you to enter. All right. So, Alison, are you ready for the word of the week? (laughs) Am I ever not ready for the word of the week? No, you're not. Been a moment ever. You are waiting with bated breath. Mm -hmm. So, the word of the week is panegyric. That's P-A-N-Y-G-Y-R-I-C, panegyric. Now, it sounds a bit like a medicine, like Finergan or something I think of, (laughs) but but it's actually a speech where someone is being praised. So you might say the Prime Minister's panegyric about the Australian of the year went for too long. Right. Yes, I know. I can't imagine myself ever saying that. But, you know, if anyone out there has (laughs) ever used that word in a sentence or is ever likely to, please let us know. Yes, please let us know. And also, I just spelt it wrong. It's P-A-N-E-G-Y-R-I-C, Panasonic. right. Apologies. Whoops. Whoops. All right. (laughs) So let's move on. Who is our writer in residence this week? All right, so our writer in residence this week is Di Morrissey, and I'm going to have to give you the intro for Di live to air because I failed to record it before. So here it is. Are you ready? We're going to go with this. Di Morrissey is one of Australia's most successful authors. Since her first novel was published in 1991, Di has cemented a place on Australian bookshelves and bestseller lists. Her 26th novel, Arcadia, is out now with Pan Macmillan. Okay, Di, so your 26th novel, Arcadia, has just been released, but let's begin by heading way back to 1991 and the publication of your debut novel, The Heart of Dreaming. Can you tell us how that novel came to be written and then published? Well, uh, I have always wanted to write books. So, uh, you know, the, the, the dream is one thing, the doing is another, from seven when I was seven years old, I started on my grandfather's typewriter typing stories. Um, I couldn't go to university. My mother couldn't afford it. You didn't have creative writing classes. So my very wise uncle uh, led me into, who was an ABC foreign correspondent, said journalism. So I became a cadet journalist and trained at the Australian Women's Weekly and you, you know, were marked up until I became a, you know, a grade journalist, which was the absolute 
best thing that could ever have happened to me. So, of course, I then had a career in journalism and, and then eventually television and life goes on and I'm, you know, married and had kids and then suddenly one morning you wake up and I'm 37, pushing 40 and thinking I haven't, you know, written my book yet and, and I thought if I don't try now I'll never know if I, if I can do it and I had quite, had no idea of, of, um, how I was going to go about it. Uh, and so I w- just decided I had to try. So I walked out of my job in television. Uh, I was divorced. I had no money. Worst time of my life, as you know, in, in many respects. And I went to Byron Bay and rented a, 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 a little um, uh, cottage. And I wrote an outline for what I thought. I thought I would go the roundabout way because I was working in television and film that I would write a TV outline and it would all be made into a television series and then the book would follow on. Uh, so I wrote this 30-page treatment and I gave it to a friend to read and she put it in her top drawer. She was running a bookshop. Anyway, she then became two years later a uh, um, a, a uh, literary agent and decided that it was time she showed it to Pam McMillan. And so James Fraser said, well, she can string a few words together because she's been a journalist. She's sort of known because she's been on television. And they handed me a contract to turn this 30 pages. So it was a stroke of sheer luck, which is how everything pans out really in in, in writing. It, so it was up, but then I had to sit down and write the t- Write the book, oh, yes. and it was it and it was eighteen months of sheer hell. I rented a little cottage up in Byron Bay. I lived on my own, uh, and I struggled desperately to to finish the book, but with a lot of the whole other story about the ups and downs and the sagas and the things that happened. But then, uh, Heart of the Demon was published, and and it worked in many on many levels. So I think the main reason it worked, it was. Absolutely Australian. It was timing. James Fraser saw it and I had seen it because I'd been living overseas. It was time to tell Australian stories, our stories of our people, our country, the Vegemite on the table. And the book worked and they said, what are you going to do next? I think they wanted me to stay in the outback, but I have tried to make sure that that every book is different because I'd be bored, let alone my readers. Okay, so... You know, you've written a 30-page treatment. Had you the whole time, like I know like you've had an extremely successful journalism and TV career, and we will talk a little bit about that later, but you're doing all of that stuff. Um, Now you sort of sat down and started writing stories when you were seven. Had you, while you were doing all of those those amazing things in journalism and television, were you still writing fiction in your spare time? Because I I can't imagine what it would be like to sit down with a 30-page treatment and think, okay, okay, now I'm going to write... A hundred thousand words. Like, how, how did you? No, no. I put that. I put the television treatment out there to people in television mm. who weren't thinking books and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and whatever. Plus, I was working, getting up at three a.m., going into Channel Ten, and working till ten or eleven at night, and then getting up at three a.m. again five days a week for eight years. Um, so there was no time to to be coherent. Let alone, uh, you know, uh, sit down and write a book. But when I made that decision to that I had to concentrate on turning this 30 pages in into a book and I, I had the backing of Pam at Mellon, they gave me $5,000 to live on for a year. Um, so uh, that was, you know, you just have to do it. And by then... Uh, I didn't, it was just like there was the key to my dreams. And I, looking back now, I don't remember feeling, oh my God, if this doesn't work, what will happen? I just had, I seemed to have a, a confidence that, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just do another one until it does work. And you've got to have that faith in yourself and that resilience. You hear about all the thousands of rejection slips. I went the other way. I never got a rejection slip. I was asked to, to, to turn this into a book, but it, but then, you know, putting your money where your mouth is is also equally terrifying. And then when you finish the first one, you think, can you do it again? Yeah, because so basically when you wrote that first novel, you were teaching yourself how to write a novel as you wrote your first novel. Oh, yes, but uh, we, it, and it was, a, it was a shambles. I was used to writing short, concise uh, um, paragraphs and, mm. and, you know, you 
But the good things I learned from journalism was that you have to grab the reader's interest right at the beginning or they just turn the page mm. or the subs cut. You can't say the big scenario to the end because the subs will cut. There's no space. They'll just put up, want to put an ad in there, so they'll cut, cut half your story out. So, uh, so getting the reader's attention early on, you know, by default, I discovered was the, you know, the, one of the essential things you do to write clearly and concisely as you do in journalism. No big fancy words. No, no, you know, trying to impress people. Uh, to keep it very clear and conversational and so that it's as people talk and, and, you know, they don't have to run off and find a dictionary. And writing simply and clearly is actually very hard. I get dismissed, I think, because, oh, you know, it's just, it's, you know, they're easy to read. Well, easy to read's hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was something I was going to ask you about, whether, because, you know, that, that very successful journalism and TV career that you had has obviously had a big impact that background has had a big impact on your I would say your career as a novelist because I would imagine as you said you learn to write you know clearly and and simply which is actually really difficult but also do you think that the um the work ethic and the deadline ethic that that has introduced to you is has a big impact hugely and research see I go and live when I don't, uh, books, my books are inspired by a landscape, a place. But, and the, but the place chooses me. I don't sort of stick a pin in the map and go, oh, I'm going to Tasmania, this book. Um, there's a reason. There's something has happened. So I've met someone. There's some incident. It's sort of like your antenna, grassroots antenna as a journalist, tunes into the zeitgeist of what people are interested in. So, there's that. Then there's a deadline. I mean, I would no more miss a deadline than fly. You just don't. Um, so I'm disciplined. I was disciplined to sit at my desk and start writing. Uh, and uh, the, the the shambles was the the editing process and working with a really good editor is essential in that you, you're talking too long about this, you've done all this research, we don't need to know every single piece of how to build a lager, um, you know, what, whatever. So uh, you don't want to preach, you don't want to show off, but just sort of, you know, those kinds of things. And we need to hear more from this person. This person's really interesting, so we need to hear more from her or, you know, that kind of Structural stuff is really important that an editor, uh, uh, that, you know, that you, when you work with an editor, that they, they give you. So, uh, but the journalism as far as researching, so I go to the place when it has chosen me for whatever reason, and then I just lob into town and I spend a month or, you know, three weeks or four weeks of talk to people, you go to the local museum, the art gallery, the pub and talk to people, hear stories, travel around, smell the roses. Like you, when I come back to my studio and I go upstairs to start work in the morning, I shut my eyes and the smells and the sounds and the the, the, the essence of that place is immediately with me. Uh, so I'm kind of in the place and I don't think I could write about a place if I hadn't been there. So uh, all of that is what I start my day's work with and I have my characters, the essential characters. People often walk in totally out of the blue I hadn't expected or they change. I think, oh yes, he's going to be a lovely man but then he turns into turns out to be a bastard which I had nothing to do with. Um, and so you follow them. Uh, and I never plan ahead. I mean, the, in the beginning, Pam McMillan said, oh, well, give us a bit of a synopsis so we know what you're doing. And I just went, oh, so I just made up whatever. I wish I'd kept them. God knows they bear no resemblance to the final book. But anyway, the accountants wanted it or something. Now they don't ask me to do that. <laughs> so it's just a process of... Uh, uh, and it's a, a huge element of trust. I still panic. I still get nervous. I'm still terrified. 26 writing this book. I thought this book, Arcadia, was going. It was. Oh, it's not working, and I don't know where I'm going, and oh, all of this angsting. And then my editor George is going. I think this is the best book you've ever written. Just keep doing what you're doing. I don't care. Um, so, you know, it is all of that. Uh, and I work from, you know, six in the morning till, you know, the sundown at time at six o'clock and, and I turn the computer off. I go and have a glass of wine and I don't think about it until I wake up and I go back and sit at my desk. All right. Wow. 
Okay. And there's no writer's block. I can't afford to have writer's block. I lived in Byron Bay and everybody was sitting on the beach looking at their navel and they'd all been there for seven years writing a book. And I went, oh, no, I can't be like that. (laughs) All right. Now, I'm going to probe a few of those details a little more closely as we go through. But let's start now by you tell me a little bit about Arcadia. Tell us about your 26th novel. What is it about? Well, Arcadia, I wanted to... Uh, well, for a start, let me say that after 25 books, to start your 26th book, it's got, you go, oh, no, I've done that. Oh, did I write about that? Oh, I've had one of them. Oh, what am I going to call them? Have I used Mabel? I haven't, you know. It's just like, oh, God, where do I? Uh, but then you kind of, uh, it just sort of falls in, into place. And then I rem- remembered, see, there were, when I was, doodling around Tasmania last year, there were, uh, I, I saw a couple of um, uh, young girls in there, like young to be, 30, uh, and they, they were tooling around just two, two girlfriends taken, taken leave and, and they, used, they were old, old friends and they were, you know, taking a road trip around Tassie. And they went, that's it, that's it. And so I, I had the two young women who were old child, the renewal of friendship. So friendship became... An element that that they grew up together as little kids, and then they went their own way. And re, but you never really lose touch. There's a times in your life where you have a connection with someone that you never lose. Mm-hmm. And so I had okay, so I had friendship, and I had two two young girls. But then when I got to Tasmania, uh, I fell in love with the endangered Tasmanian owl that I discovered. I found these other elements. I mean, the you know the 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 Incident. So it's about it's about friendship. So it's also about um, uh, animals. It's about wildlife. But essentially, the key character in the book became the forest, the old growth forest, uh, and the and then learning about the forest. It's, I mean, it's like the equivalent of rainforest. It's, they still hold the savior of the planet. I mean, they are the I cannot bear now. I'm fighting my council, chopping down a tree. They're the lungs. They're our lungs, particularly the old trees, mm. um, that they are saving the planet. So there's an environmental thing. Then I learned about the fungi that is only found those strange mushrooms and growths and lichen that are only that only grow on old wood in mm. old growth forests. And and then I found the world's famous mycologist who then led me into another whole world. And I thought, this is so extraordinary. So I needed a character to sort of uh, learn what I was learning, but in an entertaining way. And so I had a flashback character um, of, I wanted to, I love those wonderful botanical lady artists who never mm. got a lot of credit, who did all of the, you know, Ellis Rowan, and I mean, yes, I dozens of them. And there's a, there's a very famous one in Tasmania and stuff. So I had one of the girls have a grandmother, or great-grandmother, um, uh, no, grandmother, um, who was a, you know, a botanical painter who, you know, trotted around the, the, the old growth forest on their property. So, so it, these are little elements that then start together. So we then have the, the property and where is it and why is that particular place interesting? And, um, and so there's a bit of the, 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 the politics, the history, the characters, the period. I was only going to have the grandmother in as a little bit, but everybody, uh, my editor, uh, and, and, uh, I've got sort of two editors, a Pam McMillan editor and my, day-to-day editor, I'll tell you about that in a minute, and they just went, oh, no, you've got to put Stella in. We love Stella, the grandmother. So Stella became, you know, a much bigger character because she, everybody, you know, loved her, and through her I was able to fill in this background. And then because I was there in September and it was uh, uh, it was wintry and freezing and, and it was Gloomy and and misty and dark and and you've got these brooding mountains over you wherever you drive. So I went on the road trip, and you wherever you you drive, and there's a sort of a sinister feeling, and you're on an island, uh, you know, and there's that trapped feeling. So a rather sinister element, and then a mystery came into it. So. There again, it's the landscape and the places and the people that kind of were dictating the plot. So I have all of this is all the grist that sort of goes in that, that then surfaces 
back in my little sunny, you know, office in the Manny when I'm when I'm sitting there and 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 writing. See, I that find makes it fascinating. Sense. So the so you 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 basically you're absorbing the place, and from the place is coming the characters, the story, the story, the story, and all of the other things. And and you've always done that. Like you've always gone to the place. Yes, and absorbed always. The place. So how yes. do you choose the place then? Like how how did it become? Well, things just things just happen. I mean, I tell the story of the the songmaster. Which I mean is probably little recognised. It's probably one of the first mass market fiction books about Aboriginal culture, uh, and which and now you know you get criticised. A white person maybe shouldn't do this, but I I uh, I was on the Gold Coast uh, and I ran into my friend I hadn't seen for years and years and years, Susan Bradley, who is a very very famous Kimberley pastoralist. Mm. Extraordinary woman, um, and I thought, "What are you doing up here?" And she said, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flying back to the Kimberley. I've just been up uh, visiting, and I'm, I'm here, you know, I've got two hours to fill in, so you know, I'm shopping." So we went and had a cup of coffee, and she's always involved in 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 something magnificent, and special, and as that place is, and and all political, or she sits on boards, and she's now doing the Kimberley Rock Art Foundation. And so I said, "What are you doing?" And she said, "Well, now this is 19." Eighty-seven, I think it was. Mm. Uh, no, ninety-seven. Um, yeah, no, yeah, ninety-six or ninety-seven. So we hadn't heard of Pauline Hanson, and we hadn't heard the word reconciliation. And she said, um, "The most senior elder, uh, um, uh, David Moljali, has asked me to find a group of significant white fellows to go and sit down uh, in their." summer in their, you know, camp at, at uh, up on the Mitchell Plateau at, at, at Murrumba Bidi to uh, sit down with my elders and we work out how Australia goes forward, you know, black and white together. And I went, holy cow, Susan, who, you know, who, who are you finding? And she said, well, that's what I asked Moljali. And Moljali said to me, don't you worry, Susan, they will find you. So Susan said, you found me, that means you're coming. Oh, so wow. I was on a plane to the Kimberley the next week, uh, and I took, I was able to take Gabrielle with me, my daughter, who just finished college in America and was at a crossroads in her life. And we went and we slept on, on, on the ground in pup tents and stuff up there with the, uh, uh, the, with an extraordinary group of white people and, uh, Mole's, uh, Mole mob, uh, of his elders and special people, including some very, you know, there were young, young women teachers. There was a, old guys, you know, it was a mixed group and the, the women and, uh, elders as well. And, and so for, Two weeks we sat there, and I have to say, we white fellas went thinking, well, we'll, you know, help sort all this out and everything, and, and we'll, you know, we'll nodding sagely. We were absolutely smashed and pummeled into the ground in the gentlest and nicest way around the campfire, realizing we knew nothing. We knew nothing. And they had answers that we, that how they raised their children, how they, the, the whole concept of, of the depth of, of, uh, it was just, Extraordinary, and like we all. So the 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 upshot was we decided that that we should um, start what was called Bush University, where other people, white people, could have the opportunity to go and sit down with Aboriginal elders and share ideas and learn from each other. Wow. I think we do all the learning. And uh, and then Moljali said to me, and you will write the book. And I went, oh, no, Moljali, you know, I, I, you know, you need a scientist or, you know, academic to do this book. He said, no, you sell a lot of books, you tell this story. <laughs> so that's how the song master happened. And it was, it was life-changing. So, you know, there's always been a, a kind of a, Bit of a, a, a catalyst that, that has, you know, leads me to the place, and I just wait till I know something's happened. And my publisher says, "Has anything happened yet? Where are you going next book?" And I get anxious. Um, and then, yes, and it was the same with with Tasmania. You know, I've been to Tasmania, I had a lot of friends in 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 Tasmania, and then I learned about the fungi, and then I became obsessed with this. A Tasmanian owl, and because uh, I had an owl in my garden that was just a tawny frog mouth, but it was sick, and I nursed this owl, and I just 
made this connection with this owl and he died and I felt terrible and then I found out about these these endangered owls and so I wanted to go to Tasmania and see the owls and that became and I found this wonderful professor and this guy that that is you know looking after them and training them and and you know trying to protect their habitats and everything so so an owl is tiny mentioned in the book, so, but that kind of was my way in, yeah. and then all of these other things come to you when you're there. So given that place is so incredibly important and such an important part of your stories, what are some of the techniques that you use for creating that sense of place for the reader? So when you go back to your studio in the Manning, um, how are you bringing it to life on the page? Because it's one thing to experience it, um, well, once you've experienced it, it's embedded in your skull. I mean, you shut your eyes and you can hear it and see it and smell it. However, to be practical as a journalist, um, I take photos and I travel with Boris, my partner, who's a cinematographer, and he takes videos. And I sit down and some where there's knowledge that I need that's technical, like wooden boats, the history of wooden boats in Tasmania, the uh, botanical gardens people, the owl man, uh, those sort of specialists in their field, um, I sit down and interview them on tape so that I've got that. And then... Uh, and then I continue to email, bombard them with emails and questions over the next, you know, seven months. And then we all end up becoming lifelong friends, uh, which is all very nice to all of these people that helped me. Uh, so that I, I do have that as a, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid about having my facts right. It's fiction, but facts have to be, have to be right. So, you know, it's a, it's a combination there of when you do refer to an event or a historical event or, you know how you built a boat. You know, some some there have to be some bits in there that are that are correct. So I I combine uh, combine those. You know, so I have um, the, the, my fiction story can just you know roll on, and I I go along kind of following that. But then when I need to check a fact, I have that resource at my fingertips. I do. I never Google. I don't look up anything on Google. Ah, oh, there's a wow. That's, that's no offense to Mr. Google. No, no, but, but it's, it's, no, it's a, just, yeah. but you know, that's a kind of a bland statement that everybody else could look at and use or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I go back to the different. source. Yeah. Yeah. So your tagline on your website is Australia's favorite storyteller, which given the best selling status of so many of your books seems incredibly fair. What do you think is the key? to writing a story that appeals to so many people and not just one story that appeals to lots of people but consistently like what what is it about your books that people are picking up over and over again and such a broad demographic of them as well there yes i mean i've got male readers and, and that's why i try to keep the covers of the book that was a bit of a uh, of a of a of a, a little standing my ground in the beginning my instinct so i didn't want pretty ladies on horseback uh you know i wanted the place so i've always had the place so it's a very mm. generic cover mm. so from a marketing point of view because i also worked in advertising mm. um that uh, uh so that men would pick them up yep. uh and but men also they appeal to to men because men uh, and particularly men in the bush are very sentimental they're very soft they have they're very tuned in to the environment and stuff so uh, I, you know they touch men women love them because they can relate to them of all ages grandmothers hand them on to their their daughters and now the granddaughters you know so like people write to me and say oh, I've just inherited my mother's collection of your books she died and, and I'm you know I'm starting them all and oh I wish I'd read them earlier all of that, which is lovely to hear. If I could bottle or could tell you this is what you do, I would be, you know, a rich woman. But mm. um, I think, A, it's to be genuine, not to try and impress. And I think it's that I am, I just feel like I'm a bit of a conduit, that, that what comes to me, I pass on to you. I've been there, I've seen it, I've talked to this man, and I've just slightly fictionalized it. And here it is for, you know, for, for you, the, the reader. I try to, uh, I think I, I, I'm able to vis, because I think visually, 
I can I can put you in the place. A lot of people say they've never been there, but after reading the book, they feel they've been there. So mm-hmm. the, you know they've they're able to see it. Um, and I suppose look, we all just have gifts. I'd love to be able to sing and I'd love to be able to paint, but I can't. But I can tell a story. And I think storytelling, go. it's it's like my old mate Bryce Courtney used to say, it's the oldest art form. It is the sitting around the cave, around the fire, to tell the stories. It's passing on knowledge. It's passing on, on all kinds of things. So, uh, you know, and I mean, one thing I learned in this book in Tasmania about the fungi, that the earliest people on, you know, when the, the first people came to Tasmania, they carried fire. They had the fire carrier who carried fire, the embers, in a mushroom, in these rare, weird mushrooms that you can wow. hold um, fire in. And so these, you know, the, the story of the fungi is just, uh, I just was, Sort of, you know, if I get interested in it, something, I think, well, someone else must be too. Yeah. So, you know, if it interests me, it might interest you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there, there's, there's, there's that. Uh, so, and I've just learned to kind of trust my judgment. I don't write for specific. I write for me, and I think if I kind of in, enjoy. Doing this, and then I'll, you know, I stop and I'll, I'll read it, and I choir, I'm right back there. Um, I think, well, maybe someone else might feel like that too, because it's only two people. It's me, the writer, and you, the reader. You know, you don't have to try and impress a big audience and think you've got to write for for a hundred people of different ages. It's 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 a very intimate thing. It's just you and me, and so I don't feel in. You know, it's a a very close sharing thing. Start by writing a letter. It's just like if I was to write to you and say, Alison, look, I've just come back from Tasmania. You wouldn't believe da 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 da. I mean, that's the start of a book. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be as simple as that. The reason I can do a book every year, I, I get sometimes criticised that she sprays them on the page like hairspray, just, you know, <laughs> puts them out. Oh, but anyway, we, we I never mind. I'm there from, yeah, seven days a week for seven months. But um, uh, it is that, that I have, there are techniques and skills so that, now I'm very fortunate that I have my, um, you know, editor at Pam McMillan, who's the, Georgia has the final say. And then Bernard's there. The whole time? No, no, I haven't. I did. I have, uh, you know, they're all Nikki Christo and early publishers and have all gone on to be, um, you know, very famous and running publishing companies yep. and stuff. Yep. But, uh, but I ha- did have when, one uh, one uh, editor editor left, and there was like no one around. And I just said, "I've got this friend Liz, and oh, Roski just you know my publisher just kind of rolled his eyes." But I said, "Look, she's been a school teacher. She's a scientist. She does all of these things. She's you know she's really smart. I she's a neighbour. I use her as a sounding board, um, and she's a bookseller." Well, he rolled his eyes at that. Uh, but anyway, Liz, we tried Liz, and then it was a very, very productive way to work. And Liz retired, sold their Dimex franchise. And so she was my editor for 11 years. Wow. And then Liz has just retired, uh, and George is George's uh, first first time as my editor in Pam McMillan. I love her dearly. And then Bernadette Foley, who had been my editor a couple of years before Liz came along and left and she went to Hachette and then uh, and then she's been doing other things and she teaches editing. And so I thought, well, I'll just ask Bernadette. So Bernadette works with me and then we both get, go, it all goes to, to, to Georgia at Pam McMillan. So what I do is I start my chapter, here I am, I'm writing chapter three, I send chapter three or one or to Bernadette as soon as I've finished it. And then I start chapter two while she edits chapter one. Wow. Chapter one comes back to me, I send it to so this could be four days, could be seven days, could be three weeks. But once I finish the chapter it goes to Bernadette. So we have this rotation. Wow. So over and over so I get Bernadette's notes and then I, I incorporate or not, or we fight, or we argue, or I say that's terrific. I redo it, it goes to Georgia. Then it comes back to Georgia to Bernadette. So we have this round robin. Yeah. So the book is actually edited 
week by week, virtually, over, and the book is rewritten and redrafted at least five times. It's not like you write the book. I just angst for authors where you write the book, you turn the manuscript in, and they go, oh, look, it's good, but, you know, at Chapter 3, if you'd just done this, it would have been a better book. And then you think, you know, do you stop and rewrite the whole goddamn book? I mean, oh, no. To get that feedback as you go along has halved the time and made it a better book. So that's an extraordinary process. Like I'm just thinking about that because, um, you know, obviously everybody works in different ways and often with um, when you – I wondered how you managed a book a year or thereabouts the way that you do because you produce quality um, quality books and if it takes you seven months to write them, I'm thinking how do they fit the editing in? But this is how it works. You do it chapter-by-chapter basis. Extraordinary. Yes, yes. I mean, I have the luxury of doing that. I've kind of earned my, my of course, crap. Yeah, of course. But, but, I mean, I would recommend for someone that was to, before you submit something, do that process. You know, find someone that is a, even just who is a good reader and gives you good feedback. You know, you, know, yeah. I, you can't, as a journalist, you can't be precious and not take criticism. Mm. So, you know, I don't mind if someone says, oh, this is so stupid. No one's going to say that, for God's sake. You know, Liz was very blunt, and she was an older, you know, she's my age, so she's a mature woman, whereas a 24-year-old new young editor was too scared when I'm halfway through my career and have got, you know, earned, earned some yeah. some straps. This young girl is kind of nervous about saying, this load of crap die, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very uh, important relationship, isn't it, that trust? That it is a marriage. Next. It yeah. is a marriage. I mean, yeah. I spoke to Liz every single day. We would finish, you know, and she was a, and she was a master bridge player, strategic. <laughs> she looked at the bridge player, the, 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 the big picture, yeah. and I'm fluffing along doing what I'm doing. But then at the end of the day, you know, we sit and we, uh, um, she's up in Lismore, I'm down in the Manning Valley, and uh, um, we have a glass of wine. We sit down and we have a glass of wine, and we talk about just our families, things in general, and then I might ask something, I might not, but then when she's read, read it, then that comes, then it is a very long phone call. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and emails. See, I used to have to post her the, uh, you know, <laughs> the chapters when, when I first started writing. And now, so there's, and so there's that instant stop, stop, go no further. You're totally on the wrong track. No, no, that could never happen because. Um, because she also was, uh, she had history, politics, logic, she, you know, as the bridge player, she had all of that kind of stuff at her finger, fingertips and just say, no, they wouldn't have done that because. Um, and she was a mother and a grand, you know, so uh, she, you know, she she was on the kind of same wavelength yes. and you can, you know, look look back. Um, yeah, she's very, very political and very active. And so that was uh, um, uh, as – and. Bernadette and 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 Georgia, uh, you know, uh, are dear friends, and it's and it's a relationship as friends that even when I'm not writing, we're all having lunch today. I mean, we're all yes. you know, I'm in Sydney, so we're all having lunch, and we they come up and stay. And um, once I have contact with someone, they stay in my life forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love Bernadette because she's a presenter at the Australian Writers Centre, so she's um she's oh, a big she, favorite. She's a big favorite around these parts. Yeah, she's very smart. Yeah, right. and she. So, um, just to finish up today, because this has been an extraordinarily interesting and fabulous interview, and I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> but we do have a time frame, and I know you've got fabulous lunches to attend. So, um, let's finish up with your top three tips for writers. So, if you're talking to yeah. aspiring writers, or you know, um, people starting out, what what do you think are the top three oh, things that you would say to them? I don't. I don't know. See, I'm asked to teach like creative writing classes and don't talk to people and, and it's like I never learned. I don't know any of this stuff. But all I can say is, um, you know, write from the heart. Write what interests you. I mean, they say write about what you know about, which is all very well, but I don't want to know how the back of a computer works or whatever you happen to, you know, be your specialty. But, uh, but, but, 
but write about things that you feel passionate about. You know, if you are really um, concerned about something or, you you know, you're wildly in love or, you know, write about what touches you and what interests you. Uh, and, and then um, I would say, do your research, do, you know, go and you do, you, you, some people can write blindly, but I do think it's helpful if you can find somebody else, that if you're going to have a character who's a doctor, well, for God's sake, go and talk to a doctor, go and mm. find out a little bit, because you get insights, mm. and, you know, I mean, Jackie Collins always used to say to me, uh, just, I go into a bar and say, set him up, Joe, and everybody tells you your life story, on an airplane, people tell you stuff on an airplane, they would never tell... Go away and write it all down, change your names. I mean, (laughs) it's amazing stuff where you pick up uh, stories from and and things that that really it is what touches you that you feel and then try to transfer that on the page. Um, And, you know, the old thing about just sitting there, oh, I'm not inspired today. You know, you just think there's a... There's a newspaper that has to come out at 4 p.m. and there's got to be something on your piece of page or you're out, out of a job. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. Somerset Morgan said keep writing your name or someone, someone did, Stephen King, someone. Um, so I suppose, yes, self-discipline is, 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 is really good. Uh, I mean, I get emails from people say, how do I start? And I mean, I always say just sit down and write a letter to yourself, just or to someone and, and put it in a letter. And it's surprising how that, you just need that kind of kicking off thing and up, go, keep going forward. Don't stop. Look, you can fix, go back and fix it up later, no matter how crappy it is. It's fixable and usable or you see another way of doing it. Don't just, don't leave the page blank. Just put anything on it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Di Morrissey. Best wishes with your 26th novel, Arcadia, um, which of course is in stores as we speak. And um, and I hope that there are many more in the future. Oh, thank you, Alice. It's been lovely to talk to you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There we go, Di Morrissey. That is so cool. So many cool insights, right? Yeah. Well, you know, okay, there was there was a, a couple of takeaways from that that I thought we should discuss further because I found them so interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sitting there sometimes doing those interviews and I've just got like it's it's like when you're writing a when you're writing a novel and you you get hold of something that you know is going to be really really good and you sort of get that little zwing or when you know when you're doing if you're doing an interview for a feature story and mm. something there's some quote and you just go, that's my whole story right there in one yeah. quote. Do you know what I mean? It's that. I had several of those moments with her, which I thought was really, really interesting. One of them was where she talked about the covers on her books. Oh, yeah. Which I found sure. like that's, that was, you know, she insisted from the start, so from 1991, that mm. her books have place covers, not mm. people covers. Because, yep. and I think that, you know, I talked to her there about, you know, the key to, to appealing to so many different readers. And I think that her point there about the covers was actually really important because, as she said, if it had had flowers on the cover, then, you know, it, it, it does not sort of become something that, that male readers will pick up off the yeah. shelf. Whereas if it's yeah. got, like the Arcadia has a cover, it's quite a beautiful cover actually. It's like a stormy sky. It's a boat. It's a, you know, it's a beautiful Tasmanian feeling cover, mm. but it could actually be anywhere. And mm. it doesn't tell you who the main character is. It doesn't tell you, do you know what I mean? Like it's a, mm. it's an interesting approach. And I think that she's right about saying that that is one of the keys to the success of her novels is that insistence that they be about place, um, I that the covers be so about cool. place. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really important. It's, um, 
it's kind of like it's very clever because I remember not that I even sort of thought about the marketing of the dyes covers at the time, but in my twenties and thirties, when I didn't have five furry children to look after, <coughs> and I travelled more, um, I would go to a place and instead of reading Lonely Planet or, you know, I would still bring a Lonely Planet at the time, I would actually read a Di Morrissey book. So I'd go to Broome and I'd read the Di Morrissey book or whatever. And I found that just a far more engaging way to engage with the actual place that I was in. And so very clever that she has done, she's chosen her covers that way, yeah. And But I also think, to- wait a minute, just let me, yeah. before you go on with that, I just want to ask you this question too because the other thing I find about her and the conversation that I had with her in that was the, she, so you can see her 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 journalistic background in her mm. approach to the way she tells her stories. Yeah. So she, the way she she researches the place by going to the place, which is you know yeah. okay, that's that's one thing. But she also, I don't think you necessarily would have to go to the place because we've talked before about you know like we can't all go to you yeah. know Tasmania for four weeks to immerse ourselves in it or whatever but sure. she talks to the locals she reads the the different things she finds you know she finds some tiny thing it's a very journalistic approach to research and yeah. I think that's why it's so engaging you know you said that she you know you learn a lot about the place through the novels mm. because mm. of that very engaging aspect that she has and I think it's the journalism training where she's gone there mm. looking for the stories looking for the voices looking for the um for the sort of the feel of the place um, all things that you would do if you were researching a story for a magazine or something, and then yeah. she she takes all of that stuff back to her desk and puts it into her novels, and then yeah. of course on the covers, which I think is um, yeah, just you know, like I found it fas- a fascinating approach. Yeah, it's a great skill to have. So it made me think if if Di said to the publisher, "This is what I want for my covers." Did you pronounce any kind of edict like that to your publishers with the Mapmaker Chronicles covers or the Adaban Cipher covers? No, because I wasn't really in a position to do that. Like I think Dyes, if, if you hear the story about how she came to be published in the first place, she was coming out, she had a TV, uh, you know, back in those days too, TV was even more of a platform because there were no other platforms. Yeah. She had the TV uh, profile, et cetera. She, she, had a, she was in a position, they approached her to write a novel. So she was in a position to say, yeah, oh, look, I've written this book and I think it needs to look like this. Now, in my set of circumstances, particularly uh, with the Mapmaker Chronicles, which was my first series, um, you know, you have a certain idea of what, where it's going to fit on a bookshelf. Um, and I think that, you know, as far as the covers went, um, I was much also much happier because it's not my area of expertise. Covers are not my area of expertise. Um, so I was much happier to kind of like go with with my publisher's knowledge of the market and what would sell into that market as well. Now, the interesting thing I have found too, though, is that the Adaban Cypher novels – um, and I can't talk about this too much because I, I'm, I'll be in trouble. But the Adaban Cipher novels, the covers that they have on them in Australia um, have the sort of like the characters on the front, which is very much a, you know, kids' adventure fantasy kind of thing, that is, which is very much what the market looks like. Yeah. Now, I have had an inside sneaky preview to what the US covers are going to look like, and they are very different, really, really different. They are absolutely right. like they're really quite um astonishingly different and they, they look great for different reasons and I, I found that really interesting too that the so two publishing houses have taken totally different um in this particular case like when the Mapmaker Chronicles came out in the US the cup they, they took the Australian covers they basically have mm. exactly the same cover but with an additional you know a bit of gold loveliness on them um but the when they when they do come out in the US uh next year they're uh, you'll be surprised by how different they are. And I showed them to my boys because I was, you know, I always like to get a, a bit of a kid insight into what they think. Yeah. And they, they, because they both really liked the Adaban Cipher ones as well, but they love the US covers. They yeah. love them. And it's a really interesting thing because the US covers are, are quite different. Yeah, That's right. That's all I can say. All I can can't tell wait for the, the reveal. Can't yeah, yeah, wait yeah. for the reveal. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. So that was really cool. Di Morrissey this week. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, uh, because we're a bit late with the podcast, there's sort of not much of the week to go. So I'm going to um, do some writing. I am 
setting myself up for next week. I've got a whole lot of stuff to do next week, but I'm really focused. I'm putting my head down now and actually finishing some manuscripts and doing some edits that I need to do because I have been so busy and I have been so everywhere. I have Mm. one further um, festival appearance this year and it's uh, at the Wollongong Writers' Festival in the children's program Um, and that's coming up on the 10th of November. But it's – it's yeah that's my last one and I'm I'm really very much focused I just I, I'm I am a writer who has a burning desire to write right now and has just mm. been so busy doing all the other things that I'm fitting it in people yes. take a deep breath I am following my own advice I am fitting it in but I am looking forward to having a couple of weeks where I am not as ridiculously busy so that I have the luxury of actually really making some inroads yeah fantastic cool and well, I am a writer with a burning desire to sleep um, because I'm not getting enough right now. So. That's, because you, that's because you stay up all night painting. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I'm also having – I'm currently having a heart attack because oh. um, I've had a four-week break from the course that I'm doing, a, a, a Diploma of Design, and it's about to come back and there's all of these assignments due and I'm now just stressing like nothing else because I've got all these assignments due. But um, – I just got to go do them, right? Anyway, uh, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Instagram and Facebook at Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and also at ValerieKoo.com. Make sure you um, catch up with both of us in the free Facebook group for podcast listeners. All you need to do is search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and um, request to join. It's free. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 